Well, on the two Sundays before Easter, Ron and Peter spoke about the presence of God and the coming of God. On Palm Sunday, Peter spoke about the coming of God. And may we never become so accustomed to knowing God that we cease to be amazed that God wants to draw near to us and wants to be present in our lives. And, he lo- and, and, and may we never stop longing for more and more of his presence. But this morning I want, to, I want to speak about a particular way, a special way actually, that God wants to make his presence known to us. It's an often overlooked way in which God draws near to his people. And that's why I've titled this sermon, Finding God Where You Least Expect Him. The first time I became aware of this particular way in which God draws near to the people of God was in my very first reading of the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. I began reading the New Testament uh, for the first time when I was about 16 years old. And I remember at that time, I wasn't doing very well with the Lord. I'd been going to church my whole life, but I was considering walking away from it all because God just didn't seem very real to me. And I was on the verge of doing that, walking away, when I met a friend who was just on fire for Jesus, just so excited about Jesus. And I asked him why. Because for me, knowing Jesus just meant getting up early on a Sunday morning. That wasn't too much to get excited about as a 16-year-old. And so he told, he asked me, he says, Ken, are you reading your Bible? Are you talking to God? And I says, well, you know, I open my Bible when the preacher tells us where he's speaking from. So I, I pray just before a test or something, you know. No, I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. So he encouraged me to give it a try. So I started reading Matthew. And as I read Matthew, I was shocked how relevant it seemed to my life. It felt like God was talking to me. There were times I'd read a passage, and it would feel like it was, it was particularly relevant to that particular day. And eventually I made it to Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew t- chapter 25, there's the story of the sheep and the goats. The story of the sheep and the goats is when Jesus was telling a parable about the judgment day. And on that judgment day, he was going to separate the people the way a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And on his right, he would have the sheep. And on his left, he would have the goats. And the sheep were represented by the people who, when they saw someone hungry, they fed them. And when they saw someone thirsty, they gave them drink. And when they saw someone without a home, they, they provided shelter for them, and etc. And on the other side, there were the goats who, when they saw someone hungry, they didn't do anything. Or when they saw someone thirsty or without a home or sick or in prison, they did nothing. And all of them said, when, you know, because Jesus in this story said, when you fed the hungry, you fed me. When you fed, or when you gave drink to the thirsty, you gave some drink, drink to me. It was like Jesus identified with the people that were being helped. And then it seemed clear that he was dividing people based on what they did rather than on what they believed. I thought, there's something wrong with this story. I was just new at reading the Bible, just new at understanding who Jesus was. But I thought, what's this emphasis on Jesus didn't even talk about what the sheep believed or what the goats believed. He only focused on what they did. And that needs to be a lesson to us. 
God is paying attention to what we do with our lives. I was intrigued as well by how Jesus identified with these very people who he wanted us to help, as though we were actually helping him and not the people themselves. So that's why today I want to spend some time in a passage that has a great deal to do with helping the needy, helping people in need, and it's Isaiah 58. So I want to look closely at Isaiah 58, and as we do, I want to discover what prevents us from recognizing and continually recognizing this very important emphasis in Scripture. I want to also discover why is it so important to God. And thirdly, I want to discover the blessings that come to those who are obedient in this area. My ultimate goal, though, is not to call for some kind of exclusive focus on human need, on the needs around us. Rather, I want us to be focused on Him, on Jesus and the one who calls us to obey him in this area, the one who identifies with the people we're helping, and the one who helps us to obey. So let's pray. Father, I pray that as we look at this really, really important emphasis in your word, we wouldn't be overwhelmed by the fact that there's needs all around us and all around this world. But Lord, we'd be focused on you, who's got everything under control, and who's using your people to touch those needs. And I pray that you'd help us to be among those who do so. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what is it that prevents us from recognizing how big a deal this is to God? Well, the truth is, there are things in each of us that prevent us from drawing near to Jesus, being obedient In this area, the simplest way to put it is sin, the word sin. But rather than me telling you point blank, you're sinning or you're a sinner, let's let the Word of God do that. So I'm going to read the first five verses of Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And they ask, why have we fasted and you, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call that a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. Wow. Have I cheered you up yet? 
But do you know what the most encouraging part of those verses is? God still says, my people. He's talking about all these sins listed here. Ways in which they're living in rebellion. And he says, declare to my people. Though we may get bogged down in our sins, though we may be very, very conscious of how sinful we are, though we rebel against our Creator in who knows what ways, He still calls us my people. You're His people through thick and thin. And this is astounding considering the sins that Isaiah has just listed. And it's the one thing, and it's the one thing in the difficult passages like this that offer a ray of light as we try to obey God in this area, and as we feel convicted about it. As we talk about the sin that God wants to highlight in our hearts, let's keep this in mind, that God hasn't rejected us. God hasn't pushed us away. Whatever our sin, we're still his people. But despite my conviction that God is for me, and that I belong to God, I still find it very, very sobering to read Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 5. I'm very aware that my heart can be oblivious to God as I seek my own preferences many, many times. I'm fully capable of going through the motions of worship and not really even paying attention. I hope that's not too shocking for people because the truth is all of us are capable of doing just that. Isaiah was called by God to expose empty ritualism, the empty ritualism of his day, and to call a spade a spade, that re- and to say that the religious activities of the people of Judah were a stench to God because they were heartless. They were carrying out all kinds of religious exercises, just like we're doing here this morning, but their hearts weren't in it. I'm going to turn to another passage of Isaiah at the very beginning, when Isaiah first began this book. I'm going to read five verses from there. Uh, they're probably, and I'm going to just forewarn you here, I'm not, I'm not trying to soften this. These are probably the most scathing verses in all of Scripture. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your presence, foreigners devour the land." It is desolate, as overthrown by foreigners, and the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. 
What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath of the And the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wow. God hated a religion that was merely outward and not a religion of the heart. While being faithful to our Sunday services, our weekly prayer meetings and our monthly prayer summits and our cash donations, many everyday sins can be ignored in a person's life that distance us from God. And when we come on Sundays with unrepented sin in our hearts, Is that what we call a day acceptable to the Lord? Which brings me to the more specific sins Isaiah highlights. In Isaiah 58, he names some of these sins. Selfishness, exploitation, quarreling, strife, violence. I'm surprised. These are fairly everyday sins. We've just read some pretty sobering passages here. And he's talking about fairly everyday sins. Selfishness. I'm selfish before I even get up in the morning. I'm selfish before I get out of bed. I have selfish thoughts all the time. Selfishness, exploitation, quarreling, strife, and violence... These, I mean, if you don't think violence is an everyday sin, then you're not in touch with the average male brain when he's driving a car. Because <laughs> our thoughts can be violent thoughts. You'd think this would be a list that mentions murder and rape and grand larceny and, and drug dealing. You'd think it would, this would be a list of... You know, the big sins that you go to prison for 20 years for. I don't go to prison for being selfish. But no, God highlights everyday relational stuff that happens at home with our spouse, though, though that's not one I'm, I have a problem with, that, never with me. <laughs> at work with our boss or our employees, or at school among friends, or, or just alone in the privacy of our thoughts, we can be vulnerable to these sins. Every day. These are the kinds of sins he's talking about that hinder us from drawing near to God and from him drawing near to us and from us being obedient in this area of helping the poor. This list is not unlike Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 talks about everyday sins too, but it combines them in the same list with things like, like murder. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. Whoa. In our materialistic consumer society, 
Covetousness is a big one. Oh, I want that. Oh, I think I want that. I've told you before, there used to be this store called Consumers Distributing. I used to call it Coveters Distributing. Because I'd go through their magazine going, oh, I want that. I was just a kid at the time. I'd I'd want a lot of what was in there. Uh, Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy. Envy, that's pretty ordinary. Murder, that's not so ordinary. Strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Foolish. Faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's just amazing the combination of sins here. Some of which we experience every day and some of which are so major. All combined together in one list. It shows you what God thinks of sin. It gives you an idea of God's attitude toward sins that we consider ordinary everyday sins. He considers them major. He considers them big. So these are the things God highlighted when he was exposing the heartless religion of the people of Judah. And they're the things that make their calling out to God less fervent. And it's what made their religion, when these things go unchecked, unrepented of, because that's the key here, they're unrepented of. That's what makes their religion empty. And it's why we can't afford to neglect the regular practice of confession and repentance. And that's why our hearing God classes are so valuable. You know, one of the greatest things you can ask the Lord is, Lord, is there anything I need to confess today? Is there anything, Lord, in my heart that's getting in the way of my relationship with you that I need to confess and just get out in the light? Lord, what is it? And we wait and we listen And God will speak to us. And when he does, he speaks with life. He's talking to us as his people. And when 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 we confess them, what does the word say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't abandon. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew about that before you confessed it. And that's why I'm not going to talk to you. No, he receives the prayers of the repentant. It's the unrepentant whose prayers he resists. So let's be practicing this regularly in our, in our devotional lives, listening to God, confessing what he reminds us of, and being cleansed in our relationship with him. Okay, that's, that's what blocks us. That's what prevents us from, from drawing near to God and recognizing this, this real big emphasis in the Bible. But now... God moves on in an interesting direction in Isaiah 58. He could have just said, stop being so crabby. Stop quarreling and fighting amongst yourselves. Stop exploiting each other and stop being so selfish. He could have said that. Have you ever seen the Veggie Tales? He's so selfish. They were talking about me. And all God had to do was say, stop that. But no, he actually says something a lot more practical. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. This is how he says to repent. 
Is not this the fast that I chose? Okay, he's giving us the alternative now. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is not, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? What does he list? Stop injustice. Set the oppressed free. Loose the chains. Break the yokes. Share your food with the hungry. Shelter the poor wanderer. Clothe the naked. That's his response to being crabby. That's his response to being, you know, in strife with others. He says, this is what I want. This is the kind of fast I choose. This is the kind of religion I'm looking for. Some of your minds who know your Bible would have gone to James 1.27 already, which says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows and their affliction and to live your life unstained by this world. That's kind of religion that God is after. In other words, how we live outside these meetings matters to God. And looking after others is God's preferred lifestyle for the Christian. When I was in Sudan, I mentioned a few sermons ago, I had been in Sudan. I spent a year there before I was married while I was single. And, well, that's redundant, right? Before I was married while I was single. And I met a man there. There was a man we were working with who, from a Muslim background, although he trained for his education in England, so he was familiar with some things from uh, outside of the Muslim world. He lived in England for a while. And so he, was, he knew kind of the kind of environment we had come from in Canada. And now we're living in Sudan in this desert. And this one day, and he, you know, he was, he was a, a consultant to help us with a water, a borehole. We were re-drill, re-drilling a borehole. And so he was a consultant from Khartoum. See, that's why he had his education. And we were out on a drill site and taking a break for the night. You know, it was, work was over for the day and we were just leaning on our elbows around a fire. And, you know, it was a desert. There's sand everywhere. It's just, it's kind of like roughing it, you know. It's kind of like camping, but without trees. <laughs> and so, you know, he said, hey, so why are you here? Like, like I know what it's like where you come from. I know what kind of climate you have, what kind of luxuries you have. Why would you come and live in, and this is the word he used, why would you come and live in this sandstorm of a place and to help people that you don't even know. And, I mean, you can answer that question in a million different ways. But I felt the Lord tell me to say this. I said, you know, Jesus said that when he came to the world, he came to serve rather than to be served. And we're just wanting to follow his example. Well, he started repeating that phrase sort of under his breath, but out loud, a little whisper, to serve rather than to be served to serve rather than to He repeated that several times and tears welled up in his eyes as he said it over and over again to himself. He'd never heard of such a thought before. Well, you know, by the end of my time in Sudan, he was saved. He'd given his heart to Jesus. 
Our serving the poor was more compelling religion than the rules and the restrictions that he had. Instead of carrying out all kinds of sacrifices and stuff like that, we were just simply loving others and didn't consider it a sacrifice. And he was impacted by that. In Isaiah 1, where we read that really scathing scripture, Isaiah then says, here's what he talks about, how he talks about repentance there. Wash your hands, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Again, there's the the orphans and the widows again, the poor. Isaiah keeps going to the poor and saying, this is how I want you to obey. Now, I have, a, I have a problem here. I want to ask the question, why? Why on earth is God's solution to heartless religion just a list of activities which could just as easily become heartless as the other things that we were doing without our, our hearts being into it? Like, why... Like, helping the poor can be done heartlessly. Like, why just provide another list of activities? Why is one list better than another list? Can't the sins associated with the first list be associated with the list I just read? Well, the Bible's answer to this is simple. God directs us to the poor and needy because that's where we'll find him. Because that's where we'll find Jesus. That's where we'll be able to draw near to the presence of God. He's there among the poor. The book of Matthew, which I referred to, talks about this. It's, it's that, it talks about that very thing. When we help the poor, we're helping him. I want to turn to, to Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 15 to 16. It's talking to a king who is in rebellion, but his father Josiah had been a really good king. And this is what Jeremiah writes. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, and so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Did you catch that? You look up the word knowing God in a dictionary, And the definition is helping the poor and needy. Is not that what it means to know me? The first time I read this, I was stunned. I remember thinking, what? But it was the echo of Matthew 25. This passage is explicit on what it means to know God. In other words, what it means to draw near to God and to know his presence. When Jesus said, feeding the hungry is feeding Jesus, giving drink to the thirsty is giving it to Jesus, inviting strangers in is inviting in Jesus, etc. There were no ifs, ands, or buts. There were no conditions. He just said, do it. You do this, and you're drawing near to me. I'll be there. I'll be in that situation. Anything done by a Christian to help the poor and needy is done unto the Lord. In other words, it's done to the Lord. Draw near to the poor and needy and you'll find Jesus there. 
It doesn't matter how little or big your act of mercy is. It doesn't mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing to help. It doesn't even matter if you have mixed motives. Do you believe that? Does anybody here ever have pure motives? I've never had a pure motive in my life. My heart is wicked and deceitful. I, I always have mixed motives. I just hope that my motives are better than they are bad. But there's always mixture. And God says, that's okay. I receive what you do for the poor as unto me. This past Chris, Christmas, Hannes Doltz invited me to Headingley Jail um, to, with the Salvation Army. Hannes works with the Salvation Army. They go there to sing Christmas carols. And I went to Headingley, and I'd never been past the visiting booth in a jail. Uh, you know, like, I haven't even been in a, in a chapel of a jail. But we not only went past the visiting area where you normally visit with prisoners through glass, and I, we didn't even just stop at the chapel. We went right into the units where the prisoners are. And not just the new units, because Headingley has an old building that's about 100 years old. We went into those. We went into the old units. And I tell you, I was... And if I listed the top five most impactful things I'd ever done in my life, that would be in the top five. I came back blown away. I didn't expect to be, but it was just the... The expressions on these men's faces, the interaction between them, the, the setting that they had to live in day after day. This is a rather sanitary, clean-looking view. But what we saw with all these prisoners milling about, looking like they'd kill somebody if you sort of spilled their coffee bumping into them, they just looked mean and they looked scary and the place looked like the kind of place you wouldn't want to have to wake up in every day. And yet, when we handed out these little carol sheets, there'd be these hulking big guys holding the sheet up with this earnest look on their face, singing about Jesus in a manger, singing, Hark the Herald's Angels Sing. Big guys looking completely unconcerned about what anyone else thinks, just focused on the page, singing those words. And I was blown away. And I kept saying to Hennis, every time I've seen him since, man, Hennis, did that blow me away. And it only dawned on me, as I was preparing this sermon, that the reason I was so blown away was because I met Jesus there. Jesus was there. He says when you visit You visited me in prison. Well, I didn't see you there. He says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Oh, well, I only saw the least of these. I didn't see you. No, no, I was there. He's there when you visit somebody in a hospital. He's there when you visit somebody who's sick at home. He's there when you you pray for somebody, even up front here on a Sunday, who's desperately needy and needs help. When you minister to someone else, it's like it's unto the Lord, but especially those who are in need. So this left me really eager to get back into this neighborhood. I used to work full-time in this neighborhood. And as we talk about doing a new church plant in this area, we're going to be doing a new church plant. When, when Gateway moves to West St. Paul, we're also going to be planting a new expression of Gateway right here in this neighborhood. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about rolling my sleeves up again and getting back involved in, in, the, in this area. 
But how, how do you begin? How do you think you would begin obeying God in this area? And this is where this Hearing God course is so important. This is why I want to really encourage you, if you haven't taken the Hearing God course, it's so valuable to grow in your skill of hearing God because we are bombarded with needs all the time. You watch TV, you go online, you just drive down the street and you see needs. And you don't know what to do. Or maybe you think you do, but you don't ask God. And God wants us asking him. He wants us to be paying attention to his Holy Spirit, listening, saying, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? He doesn't want to overwhelm us. He doesn't want you to take on the, whole, the cares of the whole world. That's God's job. He's just asking you to love your neighbor. <laughs> he doesn't ask you to love the world. He just asks you to love your neighbor, whoever might be beside you at any given moment. So, I'd like to introduce you to a couple people um, who, are, who have some opportunities of how we can obey God in this area. So let's invite up um, Ashley Ryazanov and Wendy Park. <clears throat> Wendy uh, is here. She works for Forever Families. You guys and Harold at the back. Hi, Harold. Harold Park at the back. And they're here from Forever Families. And Ashley, you're here. You... you we're working with Kathy Boschman, right, as a representative uh, at Gateway for Care Portal. Yes. Right. So, now, Wendy, we've heard about Care Portal a few times on Sundays. Kathy Boschman's up here. She shared about it. Um, but you, could you briefly explain a little more about it for those who aren't familiar with it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Care Portal, um, it is an excellent tool um, to get the church engaged in child welfare. And we know in this province there's... 10 to 11,000 kids in care. We know that there's kids aging out on a daily basis without a mom and a dad. We know that there's families right now um, at risk of losing their children. There's moms in the hospital right now that children are being pulled away. What does that mean? And we also know what you're saying. By the way, like you know how to preach. (laughs) But how do we connect what, what Pastor Ken is saying to the actual needs in our very hospitals, in our neighborhoods, in the, in the places that we work. Um, how, what, how do we relate to that? And Care Portal is simply a discipleship tool for the church. And if you look on the insert in your program um, where it says Care Portal, there's a, a le- neat little line. I'm going to just walk you through it to simplify what this process looks like. So yes, there is a need. But in our society, there's a lot of privacy. There's a lot of confidentiality. How do we know what's happening in child welfare, really? And how does the church even enter into that realm? Well, we also have a system that we can work with. Child welfare, um, social services. We have safe families that we partner with. When they have a need and they're part of Care Portal, they can enter into this database a simple request. It might be... Uh, a mom needs a crib so that she can keep her baby. Uh, a youth needs to move out into, onto their own, so they need a, a startup basket so that they can succeed. A foster family needs some construction in their basement so they can add another child into their family. Very simple physical requests, some small, some, some uh, huge, uh, but they can put those things into the database. And that goes into the care portal, specifically designed to connect social service needs with the church. And it will come, so 
Care Portal Church, you guys, by the way, are the first in Canada to try this. We're right in a pilot on. phase. So yeah. congratulations to you. And why are you doing it? Because you're already doing it. Uh, Kathy Boschman's already gotten you involved with agent of majority things. Uh, you've provided beds and stuff. That's just word of mouth. But this is going to be able to scale it so that we can do it with other churches. And so we're piloting this. Um, so when those requests come, it simply comes in a format of an email. Can you receive an email that a request has come through in your area? And it really, um, you can respond to it. It might be your thing. It might not be your thing. And some of these requests are coming from CFS? All of them. All of them. And say families. They're, we're piloting it with them too. They want it. That's amazing. Um, like it CFS is amazing. wants our help. They do. <laughs> well, okay. They do. And they actually like us. And that's kind of fun. And, uh, but it, it takes some trust building. Yeah. It's relational. And, and that's the thing. It's not a, I used to think this is sort of like the care portal. You can kind of think of it as Kijiji. You, you see a need, you meet it. It's just like the reverse of Kijiji. You, you meet a need. Um, but it's so much more. It's really a discipleship tool to really, you want to go into places and, and be the hands and feet of Christ. You want to meet Jesus in those places. That's the way to do it. Yep. And, and part of the thing that we're doing, because we're, I'm also representing Forever Families. I'm Gateway too, but I'm wearing my Forever Families hat here. Um, as we bring it into Canada, we're not just sending you requests, now go do this and walk across the street and go do something so foreign to you. Yeah. Because sometimes it's, it's scary to walk across the street. Sometimes it's scary to go into to new areas that we've never uh, reached that population before. So we're working on what's called also Care Academy uh, with some training to walk alongside churches to know how to care, some poverty simulations, uh, blanket exercises, so we understand our history with our Indigenous people. Because if we're going to care, sometimes caring can hurt too if we don't come in an informed way. So we're going to take some of that guesswork out and walk together with you right. on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people don't have to feel like they're just sort of being thrust out there on their own. No, we're yeah. doing it together. Right yeah. on. good. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, there's so much to be said for it. I mean, there's so many possibilities because there's layers of needs. Some of them are just very practical like a crib, but some of them are more relational, right? Yeah, and right now we're, we're just really looking at a tier one, which we call it, which is purely physical needs, tangible needs. It could be baking. It could be plumbing. It could be <laughs> driving. Uh, there's so many needs. I dare you to find a need that could not, or a gift that you have in your pocket that God has given you that could not be used at this level. Right. It's for everyone. Okay. Uh, this level is for everyone. There's needs coming. And we're not going to spam you either with tons of requests. We're going to monitor it so that, that it's scalable. Good. Um, but then we will go into tier two and tier three, which is more relational. Did you know right now we have a committee going on in our province um, wanting to work with us and work with churches for mentoring? They want relational. They want people in, in, from our church to be able to relate to, to some of the child welfare needs, kids aging out of care, moms, right. dads, um, foster parents, supports. Um, and then there's also obviously room to open up our homes too, right. but that would be a, a tier three level. But we're, we're not going there. Starting we're doing at the beginning. tier one. Yes. Good. Now, Ashley, you've, you've been involved with this, but, I mean, that's, there's a little history here. You've been at Gateway for about a year. Uh, you used to be in children's ministry, right, leading in, in another church, a children's ministry there. 
And, but now you're involved in Care Portal. How, why did you get involved in Care Portal? All right. So about two years ago, my husband and I started our journey in foster care. And we took in two children. And so we have five kids now, three bio and two foster children. And that kind of just stepping into this, we're, we're in the child welfare picture now. And so we, right. we kind of know what's going on. My husband also works for CFS. And so we are... Some of the stories that she's talking about, we actually have seen these stories, and we know the needs that are out there. Um, when Kathy presented this the first time in church, like a little light or aha moment went off in my head. And I'm like, I need to talk to her. And I went to her right after the service, and I was like, we need to connect. I don't know you, but this, this is, this, I need to get involved with this. And so that kind of is where it started from. And wow. yeah, I've just been on board with this from the beginning. So it's obvious that this is a heart thing for you. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, yes. and there's people here whose heart may be touched just thinking about the fact that this is possible. That's, it's, yes. it's amazing. How can people here get involved? All right, so in your bulletin, there's also a little paper like this for Care Portal. And what you do is you just put your name, your email, and your phone number. And uh, you guys are going to hand these in. And um, I'm going to email you a survey. It's a one-minute survey. just has a few questions just to kind of get to know where you would like to be involved. And then uh, we're going to create a database. And then so when we get needs, um, I can contact you if, if you want to be involved wherever you pick. Um, and I'm going to be the point person for Gateway uh, Panet. And so I'll be filtering the requests that come in. So it's not going to be a whole bunch every week you're going to get a request or every day because there are those kinds of needs. But our goal is once a month to meet a need. So once a month, maybe we give a bed to someone. Or once a month, we help someone who needs plumbing help or whatever the need might be. Right. And there's, if somebody signs up, there's no obligation that when a request comes in, they have to help meet that need. It's just if it works, oh, that's one I could meet. Or maybe, well, oh, that's not one I can meet. And, uh, there's a lot of freedom in it. So if you're interested, if you do sign up, it doesn't mean you're going to see on the hook for every request that Ashley emails you about, but it's certainly an opportunity. You just will yeah. be in the know. So you will yeah. know how to do Isaiah 58. Yeah. Um, there will be real opportunities. It's not hypothetical anymore. Right. So we notice there's a Forever Families banner at the back by the kitchen window there. So you can go to that table beside where Harold is. And you can, yep, there we go. There's Kathy too. And so please head over to that table if you want to sign up and if you fill in your card in your bulletin and take that to them and if you have any questions or any interests that you particularly want to get involved with please talk to there's lisa ham in the back she's coordinating all the pilot churches that we're doing right now um and kathy boschman those two know a lot about those things as well as harold is in the back if you want to talk about training opportunity he's working on that we also have isa nino there in the back she's my she's my daughter but uh, a little biased here but she's also my intern so uh, come talk to us after the service and we'd love to interact with you wonderful well let's thank you guys for coming well that is fantastic and I think what makes it so fantastic is how simple it is. As we do such simple things, Jesus promises to draw near to us, to make his presence more known, because helping people is what it means to know God. That's how we know him. And that's because helping people in need is an expression of who God is. That's why it's an expression of knowing God. 
You know, when we started the food bank in August 1992, we first moved into this neighborhood back in 1988. And by 1992, we were opening a food bank because we felt the Lord was making us so aware of some, a lot of low-income families in this area. No food bank was in this area at that time. And so we opened up the food bank. It was a very relational food bank. Lots that we were meeting lots of people. I was working full-time in that at that time. And numerous weeks... Uh, we would be praying for people, loving on people, and more, with, by, and more than just by giving, by more than just giving them food. But nowadays, numerous weeks, the food bank's still running. But in numerous weeks, there's more volunteers from the community than from Gateway, which is great in a way because then people are actually, you know, getting involved. They're they're working for for, the, for what they're receiving in a way, but they, you know, they're just serving. That's fantastic. But it's not the greatest if you want to be evangelistic in your food bank and be praying for people or loving on people in Jesus' name if people don't know Jesus, if, if, if the volunteers don't know Jesus. So we'd love to see more Christian volunteers. You may, this may be a very easy way for you to get involved with touching people's needs. You don't have to commit to a regular visit to the food bank. If you attend, you, if you want to volunteer there, it doesn't have to be weekly or monthly. It can be whenever you're available. Starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. The setup starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. And they're usually out of there by shortly after 10 o'clock. So it's just, if you've got time on a Saturday morning and you want to love on the poor, love on people in need, that's a great opportunity to do this. This past November, I was at the food bank. And I, all I did was mingle. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to kind of go around to the people sitting around. And I ended up in a conversation with a guy who, by the end of the conversation, I can honestly say this guy became my fr- He was my friend. And I didn't feel like he was being clingy or something. It's just that we connected. And it felt like I had a friendship there. And the next time I was at Food Bank and I saw him there, we picked up right where we left off. There was instant rapport. And it just felt like, wow, God, this is how easy it is just to make a friend and to love on somebody, and to maybe pray for them. So now, we've talked about how God wants us to respond, but I want to close with the, the, the end of, in, in Isaiah 58, God talks about the blessings of obedience. Many passages refer to the blessings. Um, Isaiah lists a bunch of, a bunch of them here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, before I read those, um, I think I'm going to, refer to Luke chapter 14, it says, when you have a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends or relatives and those who can't repay you, and those who can repay you, but invite those who can't repay you, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. He's basically saying, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's what Luke says. He says, don't invite those who will repay you. Trust God to repay you. In other words, God's going to bless you for your obedience. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. But these rewards aren't just speaking of heaven. It's not like God waits till heaven to give us these rewards. In Deuteronomy 15, it says, Give generously to your needy brother, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. That's a blessing now. That's something that God wants to do for us now as we help the poor. Listen to what Isaiah says. 
Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am. Talk about the presence of God. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness. Your gloom will be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Your building shall be built in West St. Paul. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets in which to dwell. That's a lot of promises. And that's what God wants for each one of you. That's what God wants for Gateway Church. The biblical response to us having needs is not to become consumed with them, but to become concerned with others' needs. And God will take care of ours with the blessings that he gives us as we reach out to others. I have a unique application for us to consider as I close. The veils are going to be arriving this week. The veils are going to be arriving as a family, and they will not have a home when they arrive here. They'll have a place to live, but they're not yet going to have a home. This is our new pastor of youth ministries and his family. We want to, we want to take care of them. We don't want them to be listed among the homeless. Isaiah 50, 58 speaks of bringing the homeless into your house. Well, this is our house. And we want them to feel invited in. We want them to feel welcomed here. The Bible talks about not just widows and orphans, but it talks about helping sojourners. That's an old word, eh? Sojourners. Zechariah 7 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Well, the veils are coming as sojourners. They've sold loads of things that they own so that they can come here and be a blessing to us. So, if you want to help, please sign up at the Welcome Center. There's a way that you can sign up and help them. Help them provide, you can help provide something or you can help with the physical move. You can also sign up for Care Portal, as we heard this morning. Or you can stop by the food bank. There may be barriers in your heart this morning to reaching out to others. And you may truly want God to draw near to you, but you're just not so keen on reaching out to someone in need right now. Well, friends, that's empty religion. That's the kind of religion God hates. Each of us is called to turn from that kind of religion the moment we recognize it in our lives and to repent of the sins that God points out in our hearts. And then we must ask God to help us to choose his way so that we can start with the needy and share the great love that God has poured into our hearts, share it with others. When you do, you will find God where you least expect him. 
You'll find them in places like Headingley Prison. You'll find them in places like a Saturday morning food bank. As you share with the needy, you will meet God. You will find him. Simply ask God to lead you. Ask God to help you. And he will, because that's where he's waiting for us right now.